Well, if you have a Bible, I'm going to read Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, and then I'll pray and we'll get to work. If the sermon feels half-baked, it's because it is. Uh, It's been one of those weeks where so many things have happened and so many things have uh, moved and shifted around and the sermon is the thing that suffered. So I'll be rambling a bit, but Lord willing, uh, God will use it and thank you for your patience. But let's pray. Let's uh, read this first, we'll pray and then we'll get to work. So Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, we're asking that by your spirit, through your word, you would speak and you would show us what kind of church you want us to be. That you would help us to to think through what we as individuals need to do to participate in this incredible thing that you're doing. But Lord, we want to be the kind of church that is pleasing to you. So help us to get out of the way and help us to pursue your desire in this season. Amen. Amen. Our new series is called Heaven on Earth. It's a concept that comes from the Bible itself, but obviously it's a sentiment that many people are familiar with. We want to experience heaven on earth. And what I'm trying to suggest over the next four weeks is that the local church can and should be like heaven on earth. Now, that's a pretty bold claim, and it's a pretty wild one, and I'll qualify it along the way, but the the early church, the first century church, gives us what I consider to be a picture of what it would look like if the church were operating as it should. The paragraph we just read, I think, kind of gives us kind of that paradigm of here's a local church, here's all the things that they're up to, and here's kind of what it feels like feels a little bit like heaven on earth. And so we'll spend four weeks looking at different aspects that we find here in this one paragraph, but the idea that I'm talking about here with the titling is that that God wants us to experience heaven on earth. In Genesis chapter 28, it's one of the first, it's the first book of the Bible, and there's a story about an individual who's traveling and comes to a position where he has to camp out overnight. His name is Jacob, and he lays down, and he puts his head on a a rock as his pillow uh, and goes to sleep. And while he's sleeping, he has this vision, this dream of um, something, and it's startling to him. It's Genesis 28, verses 16 to 17. He uh, He sees a ladder, and on that ladder are angels ascending and descending. He sees something like a ladder going up into heaven, and he sees the angels coming and going on that ladder. And he wakes up and he says this, Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He he recognizes in that moment that he had this profound encounter with God. He looks at that 
desert spot, and he goes, this is none other than Bethel, the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is where I met God. Well, that idea carries forward in the Bible. In fact, it's applied in John's gospel. In John chapter 1, the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, is interacting with some of the disciples that he's calling to himself, and he's uh, interacting with them, and he says some things that so startle them that one of the dudes says, wait a minute, you must be the Son of God, the King of Israel. He has such a profound encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that he says, wait, you're not just some ordinary guy. You must be all that we've been anticipating. You must be the Messiah. You must be the Son of God, the King of Israel. Well, then the Lord comments on that, and he, he, he quotes Genesis 28. And here's what he says. Very truly, this is Jesus speaking, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus says, hey, listen, remember that story you heard in Sunday school about Jacob taking a nap and meeting God, seeing the stairway to God? He says, listen, you, you just identified me, and here's, what you, here's what's coming. You will see heaven open and angels ascending and descending. He's basically saying, I'm the gate to heaven. He's saying, look, I am the place where you can have access to experience heaven on earth. Jesus himself is the gate to heaven. And as Christians, we should say, oh, that's obvious, dude. Like, that's just what we believe. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. We know him to be the way to heaven. But listen, as the Bible tells this story of what heaven on earth looks like, we know it's Jesus, but then what does he do? He pieces out. He ascends into heaven. And now we go, okay, well, is there still a place on earth where we could experience heaven? I mean, obviously, we can pray to the Lord. We can entrust ourselves to him. He is the gate. But is there a place where we might experience something of heaven on earth? And the answer is, yeah, because the Bible tells us that the church is the house of God. It is Bethel. The people of God are being built into a dwelling place of God himself. And the local church, I would argue, is intended to be the most beautiful place on earth. It's intended to be heaven, the gate of heaven, the household of God. Now, we're honest around here, and we can say it doesn't always feel like that, right? Like you look at some of the relationships in here, some of the conflicts in here, some of the just kind of unimpressiveness of ordinary church life, and you go, come on, dude, that's a, that is a bit of a stretch, is it not? Like heaven on earth, I mean, we're sitting here, and you're just talking, and it's kind of boring, and whatever. Like, I don't see how that is heaven on earth. But the truth is, the, the Bible is telling us that the local church has this capacity about it. And, and God, in his wisdom and in his goodness, is able to transform some of these very seemingly ordinary things into something profound. So let's take time over this week and the next three to think through some of the different aspects of the local church that make it feel like heaven. The first one I want to point out here from Acts 2 is that the local church is supposed to be a place where relationships are profound, where relationships are committed and caring. The local church should be a caring church. We'll see it here in our text, but the local church ought to be a place where you come in and you go, this is a place where I am known 
where I have significant relationships with other people, and where I'm invested in the lives of other individuals. I'm not just a spectator here. I'm not just a, a participant here. I'm, I'm in. This is, this is my people. You see it here in verse 42. It says, they, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted to all kinds of different things, but one of the things they were devoted to was fellowship. They were devoted to the relationships that they had within that community of faith. They were so committed to these things that they would ordinarily meet on a daily basis. Look at verse 46. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They would meet every single day in order that they could open the word together and greet one another and spend time together. And and they, they had this commitment to fellowship. So it was showing up in their relationships within the church. Now, this sounds so bizarre because we don't often think about church relationships like this. We think about church relationships as a one-off weekly experience. I go to church on Sunday morning. I see these people once a week. But the Bible is pushing us in the direction of, if we're going to be the kind of heaven-on-earth church that's described in Acts chapter 2, this would be one of the features. We would have profound relationships with each other. We would be committed to this idea of gathering together. They gathered together in large group settings, um, which really shouldn't surprise us at all. That's what the word church means. It's gathering. It's the Greek word for gathering. It's a gathering of people. So we need to be people who say, look, I'm going to gather with the church. I'm going to gather when the church is having its large group meetings. I'm, I'm intending to be there because these are my people, and I'm committed to them. And I'm committed to these activities of being together with them in relationship. The writer to the Hebrews tells it like this. He says, and I'm paraphrasing, but Hebrews 10.25, he says, let us not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage each other and all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Let us not set aside the gathering of the people of God just because it's an inconvenience or we've got other things that we imagine we should be doing. Let us encourage each other and get together and be here so we could, be a, we could have these relationships that really are caring and committed. Another feature of this, I think, is that we should literally commit ourselves to each other. Uh, it's an idea that goes way, way back. It's uh, been a spiritual practice that I think the church has almost always had, but it's the idea of committing to a local church. We live in a transient culture, so a lot of us just kind of treat all of our stuff as like, you know, we're, we're not fully in. We're, we're going to go if it's convenient for us, but if not, we won't be there. But one of the things that we can do is we can actually look at each other and say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to vow to be with you. So you can depend on me, and I can rely on you. It's like a wedding vow, right? What would we do without a wedding vow? You know, we stand up in, at the altar in front of our family and friends, and you make these promises. And what are you saying? You're saying, look, there's a covenant that we're making here to each other, and we promise certain things, whether we're healthy or sick or wealthy or poor or all these different things. You say, look, no matter what comes down the pipe, you're going to find me here by your side. I'm vowing to be with you. And in the same way, I think the local church has the ability to, to, to do that, where we can look at each other and go, um, I intend, to the best of my ability, by the grace of God, if he doesn't call me elsewhere, you're my people and I'm committing myself to you. 
I'm making promises to you that you can depend on me, and I can depend on you. And, and some of you, that'll come very easily. And some of you, you're, you've already got a foot out the door. You're ready to go to the next place. But listen, this idea of being committed at that high level is a part of a beautiful local church. C.S. Lewis wrote an allegory about demons. And in there, he talked about uh, there was a senior demon who would coach a younger demon. And what they were trying to do is they're trying to prevent people from following the Lord. And so it's, you know, kind of revealing the strategy of our enemy. But they were, they were intent on preventing people from following their enemy, the Lord. And one of the things he talks about, the senior demon, is he talks about this way that we can deal, that they could deal with people who go to church. Listen to this. Because this is, I think this is just how most of us treat church anyways. In Screwtape Letters, the senior demon writes, Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of his church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. The demon's saying, look, if people are going to go to church, you know, that's fine, but we've got something to deal with that problem. We'll make them consumers of Christianity. They will begin to go to church, not committed to that local body, but looking at it as, as, as a consumer that's evaluating and going, hey, I like this about this church, but maybe I like something better about another church. So instead of actually developing deep relationships, it's always superficial. And you, people float around between these different Christian fellowships, but they never actually open their lives to one another. The heaven on earth the kind of church that would look like that, it would actually include people who say, my life is devoted to these people. Now, I'm going to push you on that even more as we move through this, but I think we could be the kind of people who are living in this sort of way. Another place where this shows up is in their homes. Look at verse 46. These followers of Christ broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Weird, right? They actually get together. They go into each other's homes. They eat together. They open their table to each other. They share meals with each other, and they describe it as a good thing. With glad and sincere hearts, they're doing this. We need to be the kind of people who move in that direction. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I'm an introvert. I'm incredibly socially awkward. Like, you, you're like, you can talk up front. Sure, that's fine. Like, that's all scripted. But if you get me in a small talk, like, ooh, this guy's kind of weird. Um, so open, the thought of opening my home and just like sitting with people and sharing meals and just doing small talk, like this doesn't come naturally to me. But this is where the Bible is pushing us in this direction. This is what it would look like to be heaven on earth. We would open our homes to one another. We would share meals together and we would enjoy it. We would be that kind of committed. Now, think about it. Is that even a, a possibility in your life? Can, could people from in here land at your dinner table? And what would that look like? Because that's what heaven on earth would entail. People who are so committed to each other that they open their tables. Well, look at verse 44. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. What it's talking about there is that they were so devoted to this fellowship that they were just sharing life together. It was like everything that they had was open to the entire community. Their material possessions as well. Look at verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They, 
They were so committed to the local church experience that if there was a physical need within that community or even anyone outside of that community that they're aware of, they would be willing to part ways with their own stuff, their own money to try to bring blessing and provision to others. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, we at Park City Church, we want to move in this direction. We, we want to be the kind of church that is growing in our commitment to caring for one another, to developing significant relationships within this group right here. We want to be open to one another. We want to be devoted to one another, and we want that to show up in, in the way that we do everything. But let me just explain to you how hard this truly is. You, you know church like this, it, it almost feels like make-believe. Like we read about this kind of thing, and you're like, yeah, but in our world, I don't even know if that would work. And we have all these different excuses and all these different reasons that we qualify away this way of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a uh, Christian pastor, um, during the time of Nazi Germany, he was arrested for his faith and was, was executed uh, in a prison camp. And uh, he was only 29 years old, I think, 28 years old when, when he was executed. But he wrote a lot of different incredible documents and uh, one of them is this book right here. It's called Life Together. Very insightful book. I want to share a couple different ideas from here because this, I think, helps us get at why we struggle so mightily with community. The first reason why is when, we, when I get up here and I say, hey, wouldn't it be heaven on earth to have a community that looks like this? And I paint a picture of opening your table and sharing a meal and loving people, and this mutuality where you're like, my stuff is your stuff, and if you need anything, like, we're here for you. And we hear that kind of idea, and we romanticize it. And we go, yeah, that sounds great, but look at these guys. I don't think any of them are doing that with me. I don't imagine how we could ever get there. Now, Bonhoeffer was writing, and he said, yeah, that reality is something we have to wrestle with. But if you romanticize the idea of community to the point where it's just kind of this make-believe thing, you'll actually spoil the real deal. Let me read this brief quote to you from Life Together. He says, He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Did you catch that? I'll read it again. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. You can say, I want that community so bad, and that sounds so wonderful, and you romanticize it, and you fall in love with that, and then you look at the real community that's around you, and you despise it and resent it. And you go, this isn't that. And instead of moving toward real people, and love, and grace, and patience, you push them aside, pursuing your dream of what you imagine community could look like. He goes on in the very same chapter to talk about the danger of complaining about the people God has assigned to you. And he starts with me first, with a pastor. He said, a pastor should not complain about his congregation, certainly never to other people, but also not to God. A congregation has been entrusted to the pastor in order that he should become, he says, a, con a congregation has not been entrusted to a pastor in order that he should become its accuser before God and men. 
You see, one of the temptations is to look at a people, even as a pastor, and go, hmm, these aren't who I thought would show up. These aren't the kind of people that I imagined. And, and what Bonhoeffer is warning of, and I think it's biblically accurate, you better be careful of thinking that sort of way, of looking at the real people that God has placed in your life and despising them. He goes on to talk about all of us Christians have the, te- the temptation to do the same thing. We look around here and we go, I like the idea of community. I'm just not sure I like the idea of community with them. And Bonhoeffer says, the thing that we need to do, the thing that we must do, is recognize that God has providentially given us the community that we have. And that is the community that he wants us to connect with. Instead of imagining, if I could go someplace else, if I could be a part of a different church, if I could go someplace that were more like me, then that's where I would connect. No, you look around here and recognize providentially This is the community that God has given to us. And so what do we need to do then? We need to look at each other and say, how can I move toward you? How can I open my life to you? How can we actually start doing this together? Well, I have some ideas about it, but let me just say this. The the idea that um, Bonhoeffer was pointing out was that Jesus Christ has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He has given us all that we need to be this kind of church. It's not beyond our grasp. It's here. It's him by the power of his spirit, through the life-changing power of the gospel that can make us this sort of people, a a heaven-on-earth kind of church. And so God is able to do it if we are willing to submit to him. So let's pray right now and ask for his help in this task of being the kind of church that he wants us to be. Lord, we're praying right now, that you would please help us pursue life together, that we would become a caring community of faith, that we would open our hearts and lives and tables to one another, and that there would be sincere expressions of love and concern and practical help. Lord, we want to do this, but we admit how hard it sounds. So would you please help us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we have been talking. I've talked to many of you. One of the recurring themes that has come up is that a lot of you are kind of newer to Park City Church, and you love it. You love the experience of it. You, you have enjoyed it thus far, but you want to know what next. How can you get more connected? How can you begin to move in the direction of what I just described today? So we have decided that we are going to launch a new campaign, and and I'm going to go hard after this thing. I've bumped it outside of the sermon because it is an infomercial, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm going to try to sell you on this idea, and I hope that you will buy into it. We're going to use this program called Rooted. Now, this is not a curriculum. It is not a Bible study. This is a discipleship pathway. It was developed by a church in Nairobi, Kenya, And a church in California partnered with them and saw the value of what the global church was doing and the success of just having a very straightforward, replicable plan so that a lot of people could get involved in growing in their likeness to Christ. So it's a devotional workbook, but it's a devotional workbook that that pushes us in the the direction of being more experiential, of, of not just like studying the Bible. Like that's a good thing, obviously, 
but that doesn't always result in disciples. Sometimes that results in Pharisees. We actually need to do life together and learn how to apply the things that God is speaking over us to the way that we really do life. So this is the workbook here. We are launching this in mid-September. Now, we're doing that for a very specific reason. It is a 10-week commitment, and we want to be able to start it and finish it strong. We don't want to take a break for Thanksgiving. We don't want to try to tuck a couple meetings in December. We want to start it and finish it before Thanksgiving. That means that we will be doing Rooted mid-September all the way to the weekend right before Thanksgiving. Now, here's how that'll work, because I'm sure it's confusing to some of you. We, we did this before at the other venue. We did a church meeting, and then we flipped our space into a small group arena or a venue. We have round tables. We've got 14 round tables that we'll pull out here, and we'll create, uh, you know, a, almost like an event venue kind of feel to it. And we'll have capacity for over 100 people participating in the Rooted experience together. You'll have a table. You'll have facilitators. Um, we'll have meals together. We'll break bread together and share meals every week. We'll offer child care. So if your kids are in the kids' ministry, we'll, we'll tell you how you could leverage the opportunity for them to hang out with their friends a little bit longer. They'll eat together. They'll do uh, some additional things together. We'll try to make it fun for them so that they love being here. Uh, my hope, it, my prayer is that it's like me picking up my kids from the tree farm where I show up and they run away. And hopefully their experience with their friends at church starts to feel like that, where we go back to get them and they're like, no, we're not done yet. We want to keep playing with our friends. We want to keep hanging out with our buddies. But there's opportunities there for a lot of us to get invested I think this is going to be pretty special. I mean, not that I can predict how things go, and I've, I've bombed on a couple of big initiatives for our church before, but I really do feel like this is a special opportunity in the life of our church. I was meeting with another pastor, and he said it like this. He said, listen, you only come out of a pandemic once. And he said, well, Lord willing. Uh, but you only come out of this thing once, so let's make sure we do the best job that we can to create all kinds of on-ramps for people to connect and grow and develop. And I think this is a very usable strategy for us to move in that direction. Real quick, just a couple of logistical things. You can sign up for this today. You can hop on our website. You'll find the button right there. Uh, we put the URL at the bottom of that thing there. So you can hop on our website and you can sign up. Uh, Maggie and Sarah are going to have computers or tablets back there. So you could sign up at church today and they can walk you through that registration process. One of the features of this is it will cost 40 bucks. Now you go, wait a minute, shouldn't we just offer this for free, anyone who wants to? And the answer is, yeah, we could. And I would value it enough, and we would have the resources to pull that off. Here's the reason why we want you to consider spending 40 bucks to do this. We think it's valuable enough that you should have buy-in. Like, we could easily put the bill for all of this, I think that'd be a reasonable thing. But the truth is, we want you to think about this like you think about your gym membership, right? You paid money, and you're like, oh man, I, I intend to use this. And by spending this money, I hope to use it. Well, in the same way, we would love for you to sign up and pay for your materials and help, help cover costs of meals and childcare and all of that. But if, if that's an issue, we'll figure it out together. We have scholarships and different things like that. 
But man, this is going to be a fun experience. I'm hoping many of you will prayerfully consider doing it, jumping on board, being a part of it, and uh, Lord willing, God will use this in a profound way to move our entire church in that direction of deep, caring commitment one to another. I'm going to invite the band to come once more, and uh, we'll take communion together, and then we'll worship once more.